Now, I think we can all agree that there are some movies, there are some songs, there are other, there are so, there are other works of so-called art that have no redemptive value at all. We're not going to be looking at any of those kinds of movies. We're looking at movies that have been nominated for Best Picture for the Academy Awards. I want to tell you also that we're not looking at movies that are distinctly Christian movies. Because frankly, the quality of most of those movies usually uh, doesn't reach the standard of the movies that we're going to review in this series. But then also, because uh, art doesn't have to be distinctly Christian to have redemptive value. Each time that we do this series, it's my hope that you will learn to be able to watch movies through a different lens than you've ever watched them before. It's my hope that you'll be able to find the redemptive value in some kinds of movies that you wouldn't have thought to look for redemptive value in. Okay? Now, with all of that said, I want to start now with a trailer from the movie that we're going to be talking about today, and the movie is called Spotlight. Watch this trailer. I know there's things you cannot tell me, but I also know there's a story here, and I think everybody will hear about it. Do you think your paper has the resources to take that on? I do. Do you? The Boston priest molested kids in six different parishes over the last 30 years. The church found out about it and did nothing. We haven't committed any long-term investigative resources to the case. No, we haven't. And that's the kind of thing your team would do. Spotlight. Guys, listen. Everybody's going to be interested in this. Obviously, the church will fight us very hard. Trying to get some background information. I don't want you recording this in any way, shape, or form. Nothing. We understand you've settled several cases against the church. I can't discuss that. There aren't any records of any of these settlements. Nope. When you're a poor kid from a poor family, and when a priest pays attention to you, it's a big deal. How do you say no to God? Spotlight. This is the tip line. You think he's got something? I want to keep digging. We need to focus on the institution. Show me that it came from the top down. industry. Which story do you want us to write? Because we're writing one of them. I'm not crazy. They control everything. This is not just Boston. It's a whole country. It's a whole world. They knew and they let it happen. It could have been you. It could have been me. It could have been any of us. If there's anything that the movie Spotlight reminds us of, it's that there's so many more serious things to be outraged over as a Christian than a red coffee cup at Christmas time. The disciple Peter, years after the death of his friend and his Lord Jesus, 
He wrote this. He said, it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And that's what this movie does. I want you to understand that Spotlight is neither anti-Catholic nor is it anti-Christian. To the contrary, Spotlight is a serious film, both artistically and morally, and it wrestles with explosive content without ever feeling exploitative or self-aggrandizing in any way. Spotlight tells the true story of the Boston Globe's uh, spotlight team of investigative journalists who in 2002 shocked the city of Boston and shocked the world by exposing the Catholic Church's systematic cover-up of widespread pedophilia perpetrated by more than 70 local priests and many more who were exposed in the following years. By the time it was over, it was discovered that 249 priests within the Boston Archdiocese alone had sexually abused well over 1,000 survivors in the Boston area. The mood of the movie, frankly, matches the grimness of the subject matter. It sort of adheres to the downbeat and the done, dull and grayish. Nothing about it is cheerful or glamorous. It's an understated movie, which is part of what makes the movie so incredibly powerful. One critic wrote that any film that can make Rachel McAdams look resolutely unglamorous is flashing its heavyweight credentials. I think that's, I think that's true. In many movies, we learn a great deal about the personal lives of the characters. It's part of what makes them so relatable, and it's part of what makes a movie so emotional. But Spotlight is not that kind of movie. We actually learn very little about the personal lives of the reporters uh, themselves. At times, the movie feels tedious, it feels detailed, sometimes it feels inefficient, much like, I'm sure, uh, investigative journalism usually is. But what we do see in the characters, as the movie slowly progresses and the systemic cover-up expands, what we see in these characters is the toll that it takes on them. These um, actors are so great that they're able to communicate this toll without doing anything obvious. You see pained grimaces on their faces, hunched shoulders, stunned silences, and knowing glances all the way through, especially near the end of the movie. Instead of giving the characters and the audience the release of voicing their indignation too often, the director, Tom McCarthy, lets the immensity of what's being revealed dawn on these journalists slowly and wear on them steadily. This must have been, I think, how the city of Boston felt as the ugliness of the truth and the magnitude of the scandal slowly dawned on them. The first article about the story appeared in the Boston Globe on January 6th of 2002. And the headline read this. It said, Church allowed abuse by priest for years. Two more stories followed that same day with many more to follow. The uproar over this slowly built and it became so sustained that by December of the same year, Cardinal Bernard Law, the Archbishop of Boston, had no choice but to resign in disgrace. I'm not spoiling anything when I tell you this, but perhaps the most powerful Stunning scene in the movie was the last scene just before the credit. 
the director, Tom McCarthy, chooses to list on a black screen with, with white letters every American city in which cases of major sexual abuse in the church were uncovered. The screen is, is full of cities, too many to even begin to be able to digest in the amount of time uh, that you see it. And you are, or at least I was, as I watched it, stunned. Until another screen comes up with just as many cities. And you realize that these cities are being listed here in the United States, are being listed alphabetically. And then another screen comes up with more American cities. You think it's done at that point, but then another screen comes up, and you realize that now he's listing cities all over the world in alphabetical order in which cases of sexual abuse in the church were uncovered. And I have to tell you, I felt speechless. I felt dumbstruck. I felt sad. I felt angry. But mostly, I felt sad. To be perfectly honest, I I feel bad this morning that I only have one Sunday to talk about the issues that were raised uh, in this movie because the issues are so important that there's more to say than can be said in just one sermon. But the movie Spotlight shined a spotlight on four very significant issues for me, and I want to walk you through these four issues. Here's the first one. The lifelong pain of the victims of sexual abuse. The lifelong pain of the victims of sexual abuse. I suspect that the director, Tom McCarthy, wanted to be very careful. I I suspect that he didn't want to exploit the pain of the men and women who were abused. Maybe he didn't want to turn it into a tawdry recitation of the same degenerate facts over and over. So there were really only two characters in the movie that described what specifically happened to them. But as they did, you could hear the pain in their voices. You could see the pain on their faces. To cope with the wounds to their souls, one had become an alcoholic, one had Uh, needle marks on his arms. And these, said one of the lawyers in the movie, were the lucky ones because they're still alive. You know, all of the people in the movie, of course, you know, they were just actors. But over the years, I have sat through many more of these kinds of stories than you might imagine with real people in the church. Listening to the pain of people who have had their innocence robbed by someone they respected. Maybe it was a religious figure in their past. Maybe it was a family friend. Maybe it was a a relative. Maybe it was even a, a parent. I said this a couple of weeks ago, but... If you're here today or maybe listening to this online and you have been sexually abused, you need to know that you are absolutely not alone. You may feel alone because people don't talk about it a lot, but I want to tell you that you are not alone. I want you to understand, those of you who have not been sexually abused, I want you to understand the 
predicament that many of these children find themselves in long even into their adulthood. First, there is the guilt that many of them wrongly feel. Sometimes pedophiles will tell a child that if he or she tells someone that the child will get in, in trouble. And children believe that, you know. It's an authority figure in their life. They believe that. And if it's, if it's not just the guilt, there's also shame. It takes enormous courage, more than most of us in this room would ever have, to come forward and to talk about this because one of the most despicable strategies of Satan is to make these people feel that somehow they were complicit in the act and that what someone did to them makes them dirty and shameful and sick. And then just imagine what would happen if they do tell someone. If it's a religious figure, maybe the whole church blows up over it. If it's a family member, maybe the whole family divides over it. And maybe someone in the family goes to jail. That is a lot for a child to carry. Frankly, it's a lot for an adult to carry. Or if that weren't enough, what if, what if you tell somebody and you're not believed? Or what if you tell your parents and they do believe you and then they tell you, don't tell anyone else about it? See, this is the predicament that these children find themselves in and it often carries all through their adulthood. Like I said, it frustrates me that there's so much more to say about this, but I can't end this point without saying to those of you who have been sexually abused, well, I hope you'll hear me on this. You are not dirty. You are not shameful. You are not disgusting because of what someone else did to you. In fact, Scripture speaks with you Undoubtedly in mind, when it says in Psalm 34, 18, that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. That's you. No matter how old you are, no matter how long ago this happened to you, that's you. And I want you to listen to me on this. Listen very closely on this. What Christ did on the cross for you not only removed the guilt and shame of your own sins, but it removed all shame, even the shame that you feel for things that were done to you that weren't your sins, that weren't your fault, but someone else's. That's what the cross of Christ does. That's how powerful the cross of Christ is. It removes all shame. And I hope you will hear me on that. There's so much more. I just, if, if, for those of you who are here who have been sexually abused, I, I, I want to just apologize to you that I, I can't stay on this point longer because there's other things I feel that need to be addressed. I want you to know, though, that the Lord is close to you. He's close to the brokenhearted, and He is close to those who are crushed in spirit.
The second thing that this movie shined a spotlight on for me was this thing, I just call it the abuse of power. The abuse of power. There seems to be very little in Scripture that infuriates our Lord as much as the abuse of power in whatever form it takes. It's a consistent theme in Scripture, starting all the way back in the law. For example, Exodus chapter 22, verse 22. You shall not afflict any widow or orphan. These are the most helpless people in a society. These are the least uh, powerful people in society. And he's saying, you, they, they represent all people who are unpowerful in society. And he says, you shall not afflict them. Leviticus chapter 25, verse 43. You shall not rule over him or anyone else with severity but are to revere your God. It's, not, it's also found in the prophets. Listen to the prophet Isaiah as he speaks to the corrupt power brokers of the nation of Israel. He says to them, learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of orphans. Fight for the rights of widows. This is what authority is given for. To do good, not to do harm. And yet this movie shines a spotlight on the very men who were to teach this to their people by their words and by their actions, but instead preyed upon, you heard it in the clip, low-income, poverty-stricken, and often fatherless children. There's a scene in the movie in which a leader of a support group for people who had been abused by priests, he describes how these priests preyed upon the poor and the fatherless, and how, how good it felt, you heard him, how good it felt for these kids to be given special attention by these priests, who he says, he says, that they were like gods to these kids. And he asked the question, how do you say no to God? Let's be very clear about something. Sexual abuse doesn't just happen in the Catholic Church. Sexual abuse has happened in Protestant churches. That's one of the reasons why we do background checks on every single person that works with our children and students. We know it can happen in churches. It has happened in Protestant churches. It happens in schools. It happens at summer camps. It happens in Little League baseball teams and soccer teams. And it happens in families. And in every case, in every case, The person who abuses the child is abusing the power that they have over the child. It might be physical power. It might be age. It might be position. It might be emotional power, whatever. But it always involves an abuse of power in some way, shape, or form. Jesus, the most powerful being in the universe, the one with all authority and all power, once spoke to his disciples about the use of power. Matthew 20 says this, Jesus called them, his disciples, together, and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. In other words, their people. And their high officials exercise authority over them. He says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Rather than abusing power, Jesus used his power to serve people. 
And unfortunately, there are tens of thousands of people in the world, maybe more than that, some of whom live in this city, who have had their trust abused by people in authority over them. And for those who've had it done in the context of a church, besides the sexual abuse that they have experienced, they also experience the scars of spiritual abuse. And I just want to say, when a person has been abused spiritually and physically, it is very difficult, not impossible, but it is very difficult to have their faith in Christ restored. And you can understand why, can't you? The abuse of power. There's a third thing that the movie shined a spotlight on, and maybe this is the thing that everyone here can do something about. What allowed the abuse in the Catholic Church to continue was the culture of secrecy that existed. The culture of secrecy that existed. It's clear throughout the movie that everyone suspected that this was going on. Many even knew that it was going on, but no one wanted wanted it to come to light. Some of them were afraid of the power of the archdiocese. Some of them had been on the wrong end of that power for trying to bring this to light, and they'd suffered for it. One character in the movie tells a reporter that the church does just does too many good things in the city to allow this scandal uh, to come out. Many of the people chose to be ignorant of what was going on. Now, I want you to hear me, that the same culture of secrecy that existed in an institution as big as the Catholic Church exists in places as small as a family. One of the things that I've learned over the years working with victims of sexual abuse is that there was usually a culture of secrecy at work in a family that allowed the perpetrator to continue abusing and kept the abused from being able to tell someone and to get help. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, I want you to hear me on this. Secrecy is always where sin flourishes. It is always where sin flourishes, secrecy. For those of you who have been abused, there's a saying that goes like this, that you're only as sick as your secrets. I want to say to you, if you've been abused, you need to defy the inertia of secrecy that keeps you from telling anyone what happened to you and that keeps you from speaking up and, and getting help. I, I, listen, I, I, don't, I don't specialize in this kind of counseling. I don't want to pretend like I do, but I will tell you this. Those of you who have been abused, I want you to hear me on this. Every single time that I have ever been on the receiving end of someone telling me about the abuse that happened to them, I want you to hear me. I have felt incredibly honored to be let into that part of their life, and I have felt nothing but respect for the courage of those people to share it. And I want to tell you something, that's what any good counselor uh, will feel. On the other end of this culture of secrecy is the abuser. What allows the abuser to continue abusing 
Is a culture of secrecy in your family, in your church, in your organization, on your kid's baseball team, in your kid's soccer team. Even the Boston Globe in this movie recognized that they had all of the evidence years before, but it failed to follow up on a story that could have brought this to light many years before. One of the attorneys for the victims of sexual abuse in the movie said this. He said, if it takes a village to raise a child... It also takes a village to abuse one. Secrecy is where sin flourishes. I'm going to ask something very hard for some of you in this room who have been sexually abused. I just listen, it's hard what I'm going to ask of you. But I'm going to ask you to let God turn your past into purpose. He can do that, you know. He can turn your past into purpose. There's this great moment in the Gospel of Luke when Jesus heals a man who has this horrible case of demon possession of all things. And the man is so grateful to Jesus for the fact that he's been healed that he just, he begs Jesus to just let him stay with him. But Jesus knew that there were people who needed to hear this man's story and how he found healing through Jesus Christ. And so he says to the man this, it's in Luke chapter 8 verse 39, he says, return home and tell how much God has done for you. And so the man went away and he told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Here's the big ask again. Let God turn your past into purpose. I know that's a big ask. But if you've been through this and you've found a measure of healing through counseling and through forgiveness, let God turn your past into purpose. Start a support group for people who've been abused. Tell your story in places that you have the opportunity. Listen to me. God never wastes pain. Only we do that by keeping it a secret. God has a plan for great purpose and a beautiful future for all who believe in Him, not despite our past, but because of it. And I want to just challenge you. Let God turn your past into purpose. And for some of you, it starts with just getting some counseling, just telling someone and processing this with someone. It starts there. Finally, the fourth spotlight uh, came at the end of the movie for me. And you may have a completely different reaction when you watch the movie. If you've watched it, you may have had a different reaction. But here's, when it was all over, uh, here was my final reaction. I wondered, where is the hope? Uh, I was man, I was so sad that I just wondered where is the hope and let me let me tell you what I mean by that. First, I thought, where is the hope for these victims? Uh, how do they go on how, how do they ever trust anyone again? How would they ever believe uh, how could they ever believe in Christ after this happened? 
Where's the hope for their scars? Where's the hope for their woundedness? How can they ever forgive their abusers? Where, where is the hope? Uh, but then there's something, very el- something else that's very hard to reconcile too. Um, and here's what it is. Some of the people who committed sexual abuse uh, in the movie were themselves victims of sexual abuse. In other words, there was a moment in their lives when they were children that if you heard about what had happened to them, your heart would have ached for them. Your heart would have broken for them. But now, as they're adults, you despise them. Where is the hope for these people? Where is the hope? Where is the hope? And I came to the conclusion at the end of the movie that there that secular culture offers them really no hope. Tips, cute little sayings, none of those things are going to provide these people hope. The only hope for these people is Jesus. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, it becomes possible for the abused to forgive even an abuser. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself, Jesus, he's talking about, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. <clears throat> By his wounds, Peter says, you have been healed. There on the cross, Jesus paid the price for even sins as heinous as sexual abuse. Perhaps this is why on the night before his death, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus sweat blood because he knew what he was taking on. Jesus paid the cosmic, moral, divine price for the sin of pedophilia and sexual abuse of any kind. He took that on. Where is the hope? The only hope is Jesus. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, the abused are set free of their shame. Where is the hope? The only hope is Jesus. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, the abuser can even find forgiveness. Yes. Yes. The abuser can even find forgiveness. I don't like telling you that. Frankly, I don't like saying that. But I got to tell you something. I'm a sinner too. We are all sinners. And my sins sent Jesus Christ to the cross. Just like the abusers did. The abuser can even find forgiveness and ultimately healing and can stop the progression of sin that sometimes moves a victim to become an abuser. That doesn't always happen, but sometimes... A victim becomes an abuser himself or herself later on in life. Where is the hope? The only hope is Jesus. Because of his courage there on the cross, we can find the courage to defy the culture of secrecy around this issue. To speak about abuse no matter the cost. And to even share your story of abuse with others who need to find healing and can only find it when someone has the courage to speak up. Where do you find that courage? You find that courage in Jesus Christ who died on a cross. And if you have believed in Jesus, His very courage is now inside of you. 
Where is the hope? The hope is found in the cross of Christ. One of my favorite authors, I'll close with this. One of my favorite authors, Philip Yancey, once wrote this about the cross. We'll put it up on the screen for you. He says, love was compressed for all history in that lonely figure on the cross who said that he could call down angels at any moment on a rescue mission, but he chose not to because of us. At Calvary, God accepted his own unbreakable terms of justice. Where is the hope? The only hope for anyone in this room, the only hope for you, the only hope for me, the only hope for the abused, the only hope for the abuser is Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for all of us. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, uh, what I'm talking about today is not abstract. For many people in this room, this is a very concrete and very personal issue. Lord, it is felt all through this talk this morning that uh, anything that I say feels like it trivializes what has happened. And yet, Lord... They need hope. Everyone in this room needs hope. Lord Jesus Christ, I pray for those who have been abused. I pray, Lord, that they would know that you are close to the brokenhearted and and that you save those who are crushed in spirit. Lord, would all of us in this room find courage to speak out about abuse, no matter what the cost, that we would never choose to be ignorant That we would defy the inertia of secrecy that exists in our families, in our community, in our organizations, and even in our churches. And Lord, would you bring healing into the lives of the people in the room today who have been wrongly told that they should feel guilty, that they should feel ashamed, that they should feel disgusted with themselves. Lord, would you please lift that off of them. And Lord, would you please provide people in their lives who can help them find healing. And then Lord, would you give them the courage to go out and that they could become healers themselves. And it's in your name, Lord Jesus Christ, that we pray these things. Amen.